Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Ship show. Well, Donald Trump was right. He actually lived up to expectations. In fact, he may have actually exceeded them when it comes to the magnitude of the tax cut that he proposed on schedule. On Wednesday, today, Donald Trump unveiled his idea for what could well be the biggest tax cut in American history. Now, you know, ordinarily, I would be all in favor of the biggest tax cut in American history if it was accompanied by the biggest spending cuts in American history, because government costs what it spends, right? You have to pay for government one way or another. And so if you're going to have big government and you're going to spend all kinds of money, the most efficient way to raise the money is through taxation. And of course, the most efficient form of taxation would be a consumption tax, you know, a sales tax, tariffs, not an income tax. I mean, an income tax is the worst way to raise revenue. But an even worse way to raise revenue is by going into debt, borrowing money and then printing money that's going to cause prices to rise and eventually interest rates to rise and ultimately is going to result in enormous tax hikes uh, to, you know, repay all the money that you borrowed. And so what Donald Trump is doing is he is offering an enormous tax cut, but no spending cuts. And what they are saying is that, well, the tax cuts will simply pay for themselves because there will be so much extra economic growth that the government will make up for the difference based on more people working and based on people having higher incomes. And even though the tax rates are lower, the net payments will be higher. None of this is true. These tax cuts are so enormous that there is no way that the economic growth can make up the difference, even if we get the higher economic growth. But of course, one of the bigger issues that people aren't talking about will be the impact of higher interest rates, which will certainly be a result of much larger deficits and even faster economic growth. We are going to have much higher interest rates, which will crush 
the Treasury, because not only are they going to lose enormous, enormous sums of money based on these tax cuts, but government spending is going to increase, even if these tax cuts produce some extra economic growth and maybe some people leave welfare and get jobs, right, which would reduce the government outlays, the extra interest that the government is going to have to pay on the existing debt, let alone all of the incremental borrowing that is going to be required to finance these massive tax cuts, the government is going to face a dramatic increase in the amount of money that it spends. So its expenditures are going to be going way up, while its revenues are going to be going way down. And I think we're looking at budget deficits easily close to, if not exceeding, $2 trillion a year, right, which would be a record. I mean, by far, we would surpass any deficits that we had under Obama. And of course, if we end up going into a recession in the next few months or in the next year, then, of course, the deficits will be even larger uh, as a result of the slowdown in the economy. But let's get into the specifics of what Trump is proposing. Although one thing that maybe they have up their sleeve, and well, first, it could just be obviously just a bargaining chip, right? The president is asking for the stars and he may settle for the moon, right? Obviously, he's asking for enormous tax cuts, leaving himself a lot of room to negotiate to try to bring down the size of the cuts. But another thing that could potentially be what they have in mind. And I actually might be in favor of this approach. I mean, it is kind of a gamble, really a riverboat gamble. But you know, there's an old expression, starve the beast. And there is no bigger beast than the U.S. government. And this particular tax plan, if implemented, would starve the beast like never before. And it's possible that if these tax cuts are enacted, that the explosion of the budget deficit And the problem that that's going to create may, in fact, motivate the government to then cut spending to deal with the problem rather than just raise taxes again. Because once they get the tax cuts implemented, then the government may have no choice. If the Republicans stand firm against raising taxes back up, then the only way out of the disaster would be to have dramatic cuts in government spending. So maybe by passing these enormous tax cuts now, pretending that we're going to they're going to pay for themselves. And when we end up with a disaster, a fiscal disaster, and we have a crisis, then try to solve the crisis with dramatic cuts to government spending that we could never get now. Right. We can never pass those cuts to government spending now without a crisis. But if this tax cut causes the crisis to happen sooner and then we have to slash government spending, then it could actually work out. This actually could be a great idea. And maybe maybe there's genius in this. But let me just go and talk about what Trump has proposed. First of all, he's going to shrink the number of tax brackets from seven to three. That's good. Simpler. Uh, The lowest one will be 10 percent, then 25, then 35. Except that I will get to this later. The 35 percent bracket is really meaningless because very few people will actually pay 35 percent. Most people will pay 15 percent. So most people will end up paying either 10 percent or you know, you'll pay 15%. I mean, there might be a few people paying 25, but not many people will be paying 35, at least not on the majority of their income. There might be a small percentage of their income that they pay 35% on, but the vast majority will be taxed at 15% for the wealthiest 
uh, people in America for the for the highest earners. But um, the president doubles the standard deduction from uh, 6,300 to 12,700. That will mean that even fewer Americans will be itemizing. More and more Americans will be claiming the standard deduction. And then to the extent that they have any taxes above that, the lowest bracket will just be at 10%. Now, one of the things the president does is he gets rid of a lot of the personal deductions with the exception of the mortgage interest deduction and charitable. Now, the mortgage interest deduction is going to be much less significant because number one, a lot more people will take the standard deduction and therefore they won't even need the mortgage deduction. But for those people who do have mortgages, if they're now in the 15% tax bracket and they used to be in, you know, the, the top tax bracket now is 39.6. And so the mortgage deduction has a lot less value the lower the income tax rate is because it's simply lowering your tax. But if your tax is lower, then the value of the deduction is much lower. And so what this will do is this will hurt real estate considerably in that uh, residential real estate will no longer really be a tax haven. People will not be buying real estate as uh, for the tax benefits because the tax benefits will be very minimal uh, for most people. And more importantly, too, one of the deductions that goes away is your state and local taxes, which includes real estate taxes. And so part of the appeal uh, of uh, home ownership is that, well, you can deduct your real estate taxes from your federal income taxes. You won't be able to deduct them at all. And so that is going to be another problem for the real estate market, residential real estate in particular. Also, in high tax states, because one of the deductions that the president gets rid of, and I'm in favor of that, by the way, is you can no longer deduct your state income taxes from your federal income taxes. So if you live out in California and you're paying 13% uh, state income tax, if you know you're deducting that from a 40% federal income tax, I mean, you know, there's a big chunk of that income tax that you don't really feel because you know you end up shifting the burden to the federal government because you reduce your federal tax. So it's money you would have paid in taxes anyway. It's just you pay, you, you send it to Sacramento instead of sending it to Washington, D.C. But under the Trump proposal, there will be no deductibility. And so anybody who lives in a high-tax state, the full cost of that tax will be borne. Now, of course, if you're a high-income earner in California, based on the massive reduction in the federal tax, you're still going to pay lower taxes, even though you can't deduct uh, your state income taxes. Right? That might not be the case if you're you know, a, a guy earning you know, paying in the 25% bracket. I really don't, I haven't done all the math in the middle. But for the high income earners, clearly they're still going to be better off. But the fact that state income taxes and property taxes are no longer deductible simply increases the appeal of moving out of a high tax state to a low tax or a no tax state. And, and so it's going to make the decision to move from California to uh, Nevada or to Texas or to Florida that much more economically appealing to the people who make the move because they get out from under uh, the full tax. So this is going to put even more downward pressure on residential property in a place like California, where the tax deductions for the mortgage interest are nowhere near as lucrative, and you no longer have any deductions at all when it comes to the property tax or the state income tax. There is also the repeal 
of the alternative minimum tax, which is good. You know, it causes people to have to do their taxes twice. But the repeal of the AMT is going to be critical to helping all the high income earners lower their tax rate down to 15 percent. And I'm going to get into that because that is the biggest potential flaw as far as costing the government massive revenues. Right. If you think that's a flaw, um, the capital gains tax rate stays the same, but they are getting rid of the Obamacare tax, which is 3.8 percent. They repeal that, too. So that basically brings the capital gains tax rate down from 23.8 to 20 percent. They also repeal the estate tax, which is fantastic. I mean, that we should do this no matter what. I mean, this is a no brainer because the government derives very little revenue from the estate tax, but it does enormous economic damage. So this this is a good thing no matter what. I mean, the estate tax needs to be abolished. And it's it's a win win. I mean, it's 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 the government's going to end up with more money because of the estate tax being eliminated, because it will mean that businesses can thrive and be passed on from generation to generation rather than having to be forced liquidated to pay the, the estate tax. And it will also, you know, people waste a lot of money putting together estate planning, trying to avoid the tax, you know, will free up all those resources. And, uh, and so that's a great deal. The, the corporate tax. And this is where. Uh, I want to spend the bulk of the time on on this podcast kind of dissecting and going over what the president is proposing. So he wants to lower the corporate tax rate from 35 percent to 15 percent. That's great. I mean, I'd like to abolish the corporate income tax. I mean, in fact, I'd like to abolish the income tax entirely. Uh, but of course, I also want to shrink government dramatically, too, to enable to enable that. But he wants he's lowering it from 35 to 15 percent. But the tax on corporate dividends, right? That is going to stay the same. So that's going to that's going to be 20 percent. So basically, if a corporation pays 15 percent tax and then it pays out a dividend to its shareholders, you know, and they pay a 20 percent tax on what they get. Right. So what is it about? I think it ends up about 32 percent because you can't just add them together because it's it's about a net a net taxation. You still have a double taxation, but the net effect is that the tax rate is is 32 percent. And of course, if the company doesn't pay a dividend, if it just holds on to its retained earnings, it just pays the 15 percent and it has lots of money to invest. Now, I read that on overseas profits, the tax will be zero. So U.S. corporations that are generating profits abroad will pay no income tax on those profits. Now, of course, if they pay a dividend to their shareholders, the dividend will be taxed at 20 percent there. So that's an effective a 20% tax on your on your overseas profits. But here is this is where it really gets interesting is that the president wants to apply this to partnerships, LLCs, pass-through entities. I don't see how there's any way this can happen unless, you know, you're deliberately trying to starve the beast. I mean, there's no way that you can believe that a cut of this magnitude would pay for itself. Right now, if you are a high earner, you are paying 43.4% or something like that federal tax, the 3.8% Obamacare and 39.6% top rate. If this passes the way it's proposed, people who are currently paying 43.4% will pay 15% on their income. Because a lot of people who earn high incomes do it self-employed. They set up their own business and they don't set up a C corporation because they don't want to deal with the double taxation. They set up an LLC or even an S corporation, but a pass through entity 
where all of the income flows through and they pay it at the personal rate. So, you know, let's say you are a stockbroker and you, you know, you work for Merrill Lynch and you earn, uh, you know, a million dollars a year on your salary, you're going to be paying the top rate of, you know, 39.6%. If you work for, you know, one of these independent private ledger companies and the brokers that do that generally, you know, set up their own partnership at LLC and uh, they get paid, the broker pays their LLC and the LLC, you know, pays their expenses and then pays them, but they pay the same tax rate. They pay the same 39.6%. You don't, you don't save any money on your income taxes by being an LLC, although it does make it easier for you to deduct the cost of doing business. You, you have more deductions that you have available to you as an operator of a business than as a W-2 employee. But net, you pay the same tax on your W-2 income as you do on your self-employment income. Now, there is a little difference because when you're self-employed, you're paying both halves of the payroll tax. But of course, the payroll tax, you know, on Social Security anyway, caps out you know, at a hundred and some odd thousand a year. So if you're making a million dollars a year, that's only, you know, about 10% of what you earn. But anybody realizes that whatever the employer pays is money that he could have paid you. So to the extent that you quit your job and you end up consulting for your former employer and they just pay you a consulting fee, they can increase the fee by the payroll tax and it's still the same to them, right? Because if I'm paying my employee wages and then I'm sending the government a check for Social Security, if I just send the, both checks to a, a subcontractor who used to be my employee, I'm indifferent because I can deduct both costs. But the way the tax code is now, there's no incentive other than just being able to better organize your deductions to form a corporation or form a partnership. But this tax cut is going to create all kinds of incentives for people to quit their jobs and uh, and become you know contractors of their former employers. It's going to create additional incentives for people that still have uh, C corps to convert them to LLCs. But you know, right now, a lot of high income earners already pay tax through at the partnership rate, and so their taxes are going to be slashed. I mean, ironically, when Donald Trump was a candidate, he talked about how terrible it was that these hedge fund managers we're paying the carried interest tax at the capital gains rate, which was 23.8%. That's the rate, 23.8 on capital gains. Under Trump's plan, the tax on hedge funds would drop to 15%. So all these guys running hedge funds that Trump said they were getting away with murder, well, now they're going to be getting away with double murder because they're going to be paying a much lower rate. The only difference is everybody's going to pay the lower rate. Everybody who is self-employed or working for a partnership and you have other partners, everybody is going to pay 15%. It's not going to be a special tax break that just hedge fund managers get. It's going to be available to everybody. And believe me, everybody is going to take advantage of it. You know, I just mentioned the example of a guy, a stockbroker working for Merrill Lynch versus a stockbroker working for, you know, an independent place. Every Merrill Lynch broker, right? If you're, if you earn a million dollars a year as a stockbroker at Merrill Lynch, and you're paying the 35% tax rate on that if, if this plan goes through. But if you quit Merrill Lynch and become an independent contractor uh, of, a, you know, of one of the independent contractor firms, your, your tax goes down to 15%. I mean, if you're making a million dollars a year, that's a $200,000 a year savings that you get by leaving Merrill Lynch and going to a different firm. Now, obviously, Merrill Lynch doesn't want to lose 
all of their top brokers. So they're going to change their business model. They are going to allow uh, independent contractors. They're going to switch more to that model. And more of Merrill Lynch's employees are going to become contractors, right? They will be contracted by Merrill Lynch uh, to perform these services, uh, just like many stockbrokers of other brokerage firms are independent contractors. And their tax rates will fall uh, dramatically. But there's so many people right now that are already partners. They don't have to do anything. Right. Most law firms, the lawyers are partners. They get most of their compensation as bonuses. Uh, it's taxed at the 39, actually 43.4 percent or, or maybe 39.6, whatever it is. It's going to go down to 15 percent. But I mean, look at people. What if you're, uh, uh, you know, uh, a list actor in, in Hollywood, Tom Cruise, when Tom Cruise does a movie, right, the production company doesn't you know, or the producer of the movie doesn't write a check to Tom Cruise. I mean, Tom Cruise probably has some company, you know, Tom Cruise Productions, whatever it is, Tom Cruise Enterprises. That's his business, right? And so whenever he is in a movie, the producer writes a check to Tom Cruise's business. And whatever, if he gets money for endorsing something, right, they write a check. He has a business that he runs all of his income through. And then he gets, you know, he gets a, a income pass through. So his income tax rate is going to go down from, uh, you know, the 39.6% all the way down to 15%, right? All, I mean, all these high-income earning people are going to see a massive reduction. Now, some people, if you're a CEO of a corporation and you got a big salary from that corporation, you're paying 35%. But obviously, a lot of these big-time CEOs are going to want to restructure their compensation so that they're not actually employees of the company. I mean, they're outsourcing. I mean, you can outsource, you know, I can set up a company, you know, CEO enterprises and say, hey, I provide CEO services for companies, right? I outsource CEOs. I mean, all kinds of executives. I mean, a lot of people now, when they hire people, they hire people through agencies, right? They hire employees through agencies and they're not, you know, and so the same thing could happen for executives, higher priced executives. They can set up companies to outsource their services so that they can get around the, um, the high tax rate. I mean, there's a massive incentive that when you have 20 percentage point difference between 35 percent and 15 percent, that's a pretty big incentive for people to just, you know, jiggle their affairs around. In fact, this is going to be great for accountants uh, because the accountants are going to be very busy setting up LLCs for everybody. And of course, these partnership returns, this is going to be a lot more complicated, even though there's fewer personal deductions, all the business deductions are still there. And in fact, when people go from being employees to being independent contractors of their own uh, LLC, there's going to be a lot more when it comes to accounting, because they are not, this is not a revenue tax. It's not like a flat tax. It's still an income tax. You still get to deduct all of your expenses from your revenue before you can, you know, you comp you compute your tax. So this will, in fact, be a boon for lawyers, although estate planners are going to lose out, at least for now. Right. Because, you know, people are not going to have the estate tax, although even if they get rid of the estate tax, what's the odds it's going to stay dead? I mean, it can be brought back to life in the future by another Congress or another president. So I don't know that people are going to stop their estate planning because, you know, how permanent is this, right? I mean, and of course, this is going to have to be temporary anyway, I say, because there's no way that they get this through. I mean, it, it's a huge uh, revenue loser. So it has to be temporary. It has to be 10 years. But believe me, this will do a lot of damage to uh, the federal government's balance sheet in 10 years as far as the enormity of the red ink 
that is going to be piled on as a result of all these tax cuts. Now, you know, I am not going to say that these tax cuts will not lead to some additional economic growth. I mean, obviously, if you, you know, leave this money in the private sector, right, it is going to grow the economy more than sending it to the government. But the problem is the government is going to have to print up a tremendous amount of money or the Federal Reserve in order to pay for all the government expenses that are now going to be unpaid for because we are no longer taking the tax revenue from the private sector. And so that is going to cause two things that are going to happen. That is going to hurt the economy and it's going to hurt a lot of people in the middle class, even though they are going to get an increase in the standard deduction. And of course, there are a lot of people that don't even pay income taxes now, right? You got 40, 45% of Americans who don't even pay income taxes. They are going to be hit hard by the inflation tax because what's going to happen is when the government has to print all this additional money, right, or the Federal Reserve has to print all this money to monetize all these deficits, you're going to see a big increase in consumer prices. I mean, consumer prices are already accelerating. That trend is just going to go ballistic. But also think about interest rates, right? The government has $20 trillion in debt. I mean, if we're going to hit $20 trillion, I think, what, this month, right, we hit the debt ceiling, we hit $20 trillion. If we have a faster-growing economy and if we have bigger deficits, interest rates have to go up. They have to go up rather dramatically. And as interest rates go up, it costs the federal government an enormous amount of money to service the existing debt. Now, yes, some of those interest payments go to the Federal Reserve and it just remits it right back to the Treasury. But still, the majority of the treasuries are owned outside the government. They're owned in foreign countries or they're owned by private funds. And and this is going to be an enormous drain on the budget to have to pay the higher interest rates on this $20 trillion debt. Plus, they're going to have to pay higher interest rates on the trillion to $2 trillion a year budget deficits that these tax cuts are going to produce and that higher interest rates are going to produce. Because obviously, where is the government going to get the money to pay the higher interest rates? Well, they're going to borrow that too. So the deficit just explodes. And if the Federal Reserve wants to present interest rates from going to the moon, then they're just going to have to step up their quantitative easing. But remember, they're talking about quantitative tightening right now. They're talking about shrinking their balance sheet. Well, how are they going to shrink their balance sheet? How are they going to be sellers of treasuries, which is what they are, even if they don't sell? If they let the treasury mature, now that's an extra treasury that the government has to sell in order to repay the Fed. So in addition to the enormous deficits that will be produced by these tax cuts and rising interest rates, the government is also going to have to sell enough treasuries to pay off the Fed, which they can't do. So in order to make this thing even remotely feasible, they're going to have to, you know, launch QE4. They're going to have to print enormous amounts of money, which is exactly what I've been saying that they're going to do. What is this going to do to the dollar? The dollar is going to tank. If you remember the larger deficits that were caused by the Bush tax cuts caused the dollar to fall almost 40%. Well, these Trump tax cuts, should they actually be passed, are so much bigger than the Bush tax cuts. Right. The impact on the deficit is going to be much bigger. Plus, we have a much bigger debt now. Plus, the economy is far more screwed up now than it was uh, when George Bush was elected. I mean, the bubble that we have now, the reckless monetary policies of Bernanke and Yellen dwarf anything that Greenspan did. And of course, the problems that Trump has inherited from Obama are much bigger than the ones that 
uh, Bush inherited from Clinton. So the dollar will fall much more as a result of this. Gold will take off. I mean, initially people are excited. Oh, yeah, tax cuts. This is great. It's going to stimulate the economy. But when people realize it's going to stimulate uh, budget deficits, it's going to stimulate inflation. There is no border tax here. You know, for a while, people were thinking that, oh, this border tax was going to mean a higher dollar. That border adjusted tax is not there. There is no uh, national sales tax or any of that type of consumption based tax or there is no there's nothing here to encourage you. Uh, to import. In fact, if anything, by exempting overseas profits from taxation, the president actually does encourage U.S. businesses to shift more operations abroad. Because if they're operation, if they're earning money in the U.S., they're paying a 15% tax. If they're earning money in another country, they're paying zero tax. Well, zero is lower than 15. In fact, the way this is set up, if I, you know, if I have a business, if, you know. In the United States, I can move it to the Cayman Islands. I can move it to the Bahamas and, and pay zero income taxes when I repatriate the profit. So there's an incentive to do that. Now, when you lower the top tax rate to 15 percent, you know, will, will somebody move their business, let's say, you know, from uh, Ohio to the Cayman Islands to save 15 percent? I don't know. It's a big move. Right. But big multinational companies, you know, they have offices all around the world anyway. And to the extent that they're going to do more business, they might as well do more business offshore. But, of course, when they do business offshore, they have to pay the tax rate of whatever country they're doing business in. So if our tax rate is 15 percent, it certainly isn't going to make sense for an American business to operate in France or the U.K. where the rates are higher. But to the extent that they can put some of their business, you know, in Singapore where the rates are lower, or in the Cayman Islands where the rates are zero, they will try to do that because now they can bring the money back tax-free. So you know, none of this is going to be good for the dollar. All of this is bad for the dollar. And, and therefore, this is, if it gets passed like this, for people who are investing internationally, who are following my strategy, this is going to be a home run. This is just going to accelerate the gains that I thought we were already about to earn. But of course... I don't know that this can get passed. It depends on the Republicans. See, will Republicans vote for a tax cut that will produce massive, unprecedented debt and deficits? Now, they might do it simply because of what I said earlier in this podcast, starving the beast. These tax cuts could ultimately cause massive spending cuts because there'll be no way that we can get out of the fiscal mess other than either defaulting on our obligations, defaulting on our treasuries, or we're going to have to have some massive cuts in government spending. Because it might also be hard for Republicans to resist these tax cuts. I mean, who can resist taking the top tax rate really down on investment income from a partnership from 43.4% all the way down to 15%? And this cuts taxes you know, on the lower income people as well. I mean, it's a, across the board, massive tax cuts. But nowhere is it more massive than on the rich, the people who are the highest earners. And obviously, too, they pay the most taxes. So normally any tax cut will disproportionately benefit the rich because the rich disproportionately pay the tax. You know, the 1%, the top 1% pays almost half of the federal income tax. But since this cut is so enormous for the top 1%, that part alone is going to cost the U.S. government probably $300 billion a year in, in lost tax revenue. 
Uh, the corporate tax, they're saying $200 billion. They're getting rid of the AMT. I mean, this, and, I mean it's going to cost the government well over $500 billion a year in lost revenue. Maybe seven. That's hard to say. Could be even more than that. But, of course, higher interest rates on the bigger deficits and on the, the existing national debt, they can add another few hundred billion to the already an already national budget deficit that's 700 billion so you add all the revenue loss you add the increased expenditures and again you're getting around two trillion dollars a year uh for for budget deficits so i mean this is just enormous but the question is will republicans be able to say no to tax cuts this big right even even the republicans that are in states like california where you can no longer deduct your state income tax, you're still talking about huge tax cuts for California residents because of the massive reduction in the federal top rate. Now, yes, it does create more incentives for those residents to leave California and go to another state. But will Republicans vote against the biggest tax cut ever based on the fact that it adds to the debt? And of course, you've got so many Republicans who are going to come up with all this nonsense that's going to say it doesn't add to the debt. It's going to pay for itself. You know, we're closing some loopholes and we're going to get all this growth. But you know what? They can give it a try and see what happens. And I already know what's going to happen, that they're not going to pay for themselves. The deficit is going to skyrocket. And then what is the solution? Is the solution to get rid of the tax cuts? Because they obviously didn't pay for themselves. Well, what Republicans are going to want to vote for that? The alternative is let's cut spending. And I think if we have such enormous deficits and there is a fiscal crisis, then you might get a lot of Republicans who would vote to cut spending when they had no other choice. So, again, if there's method to the madness, that's it. Today's financial advisors behave like pro-wrestling TV commentators. They scream that the recovery is strong, debt is manageable, inflation is low, and that the Federal Reserve has everything under control. They may be oblivious, but the danger is real. Looking beyond the media hype can open a world of broader investing ideas. Euro-Pacific Capital is a registered investment advisor that offers stock-focused wealth management services that closely follow the strategy of our founder and CEO, Peter Schiff. We concentrate on those countries that are more closely in tune with Peter's vision of how capitalism is supposed to work. And these investments are not hard to find, provided you know where to look. Isn't it time you change the channel and let Euro-Pacific put a little reality back into your portfolio? If you live in the United States and have $25,000 or more to invest, call 800-727-7922. That's 800-727-7922. Non-U.S. residents access similar strategies through Euro-Pacific Bank at europacbank.com. Euro-Pacific Capital and Euro-Pacific Bank are affiliated companies. Hi, this is Peter Schiff, and long before foreign governments were buying gold, I urged my clients to put 5 to 10% of their portfolios into physical precious metals. Despite gold's massive rise over the last decade, I still think that a 5 to 10% allocation to gold and silver is a smart investment decision. But buyers have to beware. Big TV gold dealers push all sorts of coins that are poor investments. Bait-and-switch deals, price protection guarantees, leveraged gold accounts. These are just a few of the sleazy tactics used to swindle inexperienced gold buyers. My gold company is different. We never offer a coin or bar unless I consider it to be a good investment. I want my customers to be educated. That's why I'm offering you a free research report exposing the biggest scams and ripoffs in the industry. Download my report 
classic gold scams and how to avoid getting ripped off for free at goldscams.com. This report tells you everything you need to know about how to avoid losing thousands of dollars with scam gold dealers. It even tells you how to tell if a salesman is lying to you on the phone. This is a must read for anyone considering a gold or silver investment. Download this free report today at goldscams.com. That's goldscams.com.